so how long do you think this is actually going to the, the, the situation is going to last? So who knows? Uh, like your guess is as good as mine. If anybody tells you that they know what Putin's thinking, they're probably lying to you or they're sure. trying to sell you something. Yeah. Um, so far, the guy, love him or hate him, is not stupid. OK. And he knows that his best weapon against Europe is energy. All right. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the Angel Research Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Stutman, and we are here, as usual, today to discuss the market's hottest uh, stock stories and investment opportunities. We've got a uh, special guest, Keith Cole, on the show. Keith is the uh, the founder uh, and managing director of uh, multiple investment advisory services uh, focusing on uh, technology, biotechnology, and energy industries. Uh, we're going to be focusing mainly on the latter today. Um there's a ton of stuff that we can talk about with Keith. He's a really knowledgeable guy. Um, but today we're going to be, you know, really focusing and honing in on the energy aspect of things. And uh, more specifically, the uh, the impact, the repercussions, and uh, potential investment opportunities uh, surrounding the geopolitical shakeup that's going on in uh, Ukraine. Right. Um, we've experienced a lot of these uh, impacts already around the world. Uh, but Keith kind of thinks that the situation hasn't quite peaked yet. He sees an impending energy crisis occurring in Europe. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about uh, potential ways to uh, turn this crisis into an opportunity, a profitable opportunity. Uh, maybe Keith will give us some of his uh, favorite stocks or, or point us in that direction. Uh, real quick disclaimer, uh, nothing that we say here today is personal uh, financial or investment advice. We can give you the tools and the insights that you need to make uh, you know, good investment decisions for yourself, but we can't make these decisions for you. Also, uh, if you like what you see, you know, like like the video, subscribe to the channel, comment. It really helps us out. Uh, with all that out of the way, Keith, welcome to the show. Nice to be here. It's it's uh, it's good to have you here. I kind of been yep. looking forward to it. So, um, as I, I was going to say, as as you said earlier, I um, I run the energy newsletter sure. that we publish called Energy Investor, and uh, yeah, I wanted to actually focus on some of the the situations that are coming up, uh, particularly this winter, revolving around a European energy crisis that really isn't getting the attention it deserves. Okay. But before we get into that, sure. I want to kind of lay out how we started, how this all started. Okay. So okay. my question right now yeah. is actually for our younger uh, producers here. When do you think this all started, the, the biggest issues, with, with Germany's energy crisis that it's facing Look right on now. Sarah's face. She has this, like, well, she's like, oh, my God, I just can't give a guess. Like, like, give a guess. Like, when did, when did their troubles start? Well, I'd say maybe a few decades ago, probably. <laughs> oh, man. She's you, going way back. Dude, were you right. expecting her to, to give I was, a specific I was answer? expecting her to say, like, everybody else I've asked this. I, I, I was expecting her to say uh, when Russia attacked Ukraine. Um, because Russia, again, well, as I'll mention many times, Russia is, supplies over half of sure. Germany's natural gas. Yep. Um, it, she's right. It started in the 70s when they started building a network of pipelines between uh, Russia and Germany to flow some, some of that natural gas uh, in Russia over, over their way. Okay. Um, and so it's kind of interesting because back in the 70s, like, there was a huge uproar. Obviously, you know, Soviet Union was, was our, you know, heading into the prime Cold War decade, yeah. right? 
So um, Germany was actually warned by Nixon back in the 70s uh, about this this issue of becoming too dependent on Russian energy. Sure. Didn't and, uh, sorry. Didn't Trump make a similar uh, warning? I believe he did. Okay. Uh, but he went a step further that we'll get into probably another time. Okay. Okay. But um, but essentially, uh, Germany promised everybody, promised the world, like we're never going to supply more than ten percent of our natural gas from Russia. So fast forward to 2019, you have Russia supplying Germany with over half of its natural gas, 70% of its thermal coal, um, a little bit oil to boot. Um, and, and there's been a couple of catalysts that have happened that have shaped this into a, just a full-blown energy crisis. Sure. Um, Do you mind if I kind of like put like uh, you s- read read off, read off some headlines that I collected to kind of frame the situation, or do you want to just uh, you want to? Sure, if you want. Sure. So I have a couple here. I got one from foreignpolicy.com uh, that says uh, Europe's worst energy nightmare is becoming a reality. Uh, I've got one from Washington Post that says a uh, record heat wave is deepening Europe's energy crisis, and I've got one from Bloomberg that says uh, Europe's energy crisis will cost you cost you two hundred billion dollars. I don't know who you is, uh, maybe more. Uh, so those are obviously some pretty sure. pretty frightening words. Um, sure. What is what is really going on here, like right now? In okay, so again, you have to understand that for the last couple of decades, Germany has put itself in a position of heavy reliance on Russian energy. Yes. Now there's a there's actually a similarity between Germany and the U.S. Right, and so leading up until let's say 2008, um, the U.S was producing uh, a record low uh, amount of oil domestically. Yeah. And then we tapped into our tight oil and gas resources, which created a boom that led into an unprecedent, uh, um, I'm sorry, unprecedented uh, output yeah. from U.S. producers. Germany in 2008 didn't have these resources. So what they did was um, they started turning to renewables, right? So 2011, they spent 131 billion. They pledged 131 billion dollars over five years to phase out their nuclear. So basically, they wanted to facilitate the transition to green energy. Okay. Right? And they started spending records amount of of money over the last decade. Right. Um, this exacerbated the problem that we're in today. Right. Uh, they shuttered three of their six nuclear plants. They pledged a couple years ago to to close all 84 coal plants. Like, they were really going hardcore wind, solar, renewable energy. What was the rationale for them shutting down nuclear? It's dirty. Oh, for, for nuclear. Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, I, don't, I don't understand that. Like, I genuinely don't get it why It wouldn't make sense considering their neighbor produces 75% of their electricity from nuclear power in yeah. France. Okay. So, yeah, um, maybe green virtue signaling. You can call it whatever you want. Yeah. Maybe. So they, they were cutting you're, – you're saying that they were, they were basically – Germany was essentially committing okay. to these renewable okay, sources. I got you. I got you. Um, and that's so kind of got them in up bind. until 2022. Yeah. Right. Let's let's fast forward to 2022. Um, up until that point, uh, there's been some aggression by Russia uh, over the Ukraine, and you have to wonder uh, what 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 was in Putin's mind. Um, and at first, when the tanks started rolling through uh, the border, I think there was a general sense that Putin was trying to do exactly what he did in Crimea in 2014, I believe. Yeah. Where you just roll a bunch of military assets over there, 
throw up a shoddy little vote and then have them declare independence and then annex it, the Crimean Peninsula, to Russia. So they're trying to do this to the Donbass region. And that's essentially what, what the narrative was. And then the tanks just kept rolling. And so the situation went from this is going to be over in a couple weeks to we are now in month, what, nine of of this invasion. So how long do you think this is actually going to, the, the, the situation is going to last? So who knows? Uh, like your guess is as good as mine. If anybody tells you that they know what Putin's thinking, they're probably lying to you or they're sure. trying to sell you something. Yeah. Um, so far, the guy, love him or hate him, is not stupid. Okay. And he knows that his best weapon against Europe is energy. Um, just to give you an, uh, an example of kind of a little bit of hypocrisy on Europe's side, too. Um, Europe spent about 2.5 billion euros so far uh, in military support. Of, I'm sorry, Germany has. Um, in, uh, they basically gave them $2.5 billion of military support to Ukraine. Yep. In the same time, they've spent like 40, 46 billion euros on Russian energy. Sure. And right. that kind of points to the, the, the level right. of dependence that they have. Like politically, they're taking a stand that they support Ukraine, but from a financial perspective and from, you know, right. where they need the, the, in, the major input for their economy, they like, do they, are there any contingencies that Europe has to, to reduce this reliance or like what, what well, actions we can, can they get take? In, we, we're we're going to, we're going to lead into that, sure. I promise. But um, the major crisis uh, immediately is natural gas into Germany. Um, again, I told you they supply over half of their uh, of their gas from Russia. So the the primary pipeline is the Nord Stream pipeline that sends about 55 billion cubic meters a year into Germany. Um, at 100% flows, everything's fine. That's the Nord Stream, right? The Nord Stream, right. And so just as a little aside, they actually, uh, Germany cut plans to even make the Nord Stream 2 which sent Russia into, uh, over to China to make new pipelines, but that's for another day. Okay. Um, but essentially, uh, the Nord Stream pipeline was, was pumping an immense amount of gas into Germany. And so the, the issue comes during the winter, right? They have far colder winters than we do. Um, it's, a matter, it's a matter of life or death, whether or not they have natural gas stored for the winter. And so because this war has dragged on, they haven't been able to fill their gas storage levels nearly as much as they want. Right now, they're probably around 67% full. And is that just because – is it because the gas is too expensive? Is it because well, that Russia is, is reducing the amount of gas that they're sending over there? What's so a little while ago, uh, Russia essentially cut the throughput of the Nord Stream pipeline down to about 60%. Okay. Um, and then just more recently, he cut it down to 20% of total capacity. Okay. So this is creating a serious uh, problem later on because they're trying to – like this is typically the season when you would be injecting uh, natural gas into storage. Okay. Like, so heading, in, heading, into, winter, heading Germ into winter, Germany likes to yeah. basically fill their supply of natural gas. Well, they have to. They have fill, to in yes. order, to, in order to get through the winter. Absolutely. And uh, Russia – I guess presumably made a strategic decision to to reduce the gas that they're sending them to put pressure on them or well it's it's all wep this is how you weaponize energy yeah. um and here's the here's kind of the interesting um 
point to the 20% number that I'm seeing. So when Putin announces that that that's that they're reducing rates to that level, he cite, he has good reasons to cite for it because ever since they put oil and gas sanctions on Russia, Russia has issues when it comes to ma- uh, maintenance, to repairing uh, certain equipment because nobody else is going to work with them. Sure, I, I was I, I know you you were kind of telling me something about the. Uh, this situation with uh, Canada, they had to like lift some sort of, they basically lifted like a... There was basically a, a turbine that, that it needed to get fixed for a natural, natural okay. gas facility. And I think it was a compression station, yeah. but I could be wrong on that. Um, and Canada does the repairs? And Canada was... would do the repairs. So Canada refused to do the repairs, which, you know, sends a spiraling set of consequences all the way down. And here... Like, you know, that's a that's a valid reason for Putin to say, hey, we had to reduce output levels. Um, but what's interesting is that the 20 percent number. So on June 23rd, the EU basically set mandatory minimums for gas storage. So they they said that in order to to survive this winter, and I'm saying probably without like severe rationing and stuff like that, which they're already starting to tease a little bit to people. Um, but they set the storage level at 80% by November 1st. That's usually like October is when it sort of starts hitting the shit hits starts. Sorry, by, the fan. by when did you say? By November 1st. November is when 1st. They, is, okay. is their, so their target is 90%, okay. right? Now, in order to meet eight, this 80% minimum goal, then they need gas flows from the Nord Stream pipeline to be between 20 and 25%. So Putin's kind of keeping them right on that edge. Mm. Um, for his own advantage, for you know his own, uh, for you know to sure. to exploit the 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 dependence that that's on um, that they that everybody has on them for their energy. Yeah. So so we have we have contingencies of uh, lowering lowering energy usage. Is there any alternative that that uh, you know Germany or Europe has in terms of? Uh, bringing more natural gas in. How else can they like? Because I've been, I know that the you know the uh, the executive director of the uh, uh, International Energy Agency recently put out like a post, and he was uh, he listed like five different uh, you know coordinated actions that are essential to to uh, preventing a major gas crunch in in the in the EU. Um, and basically everything on that list that I was reading seemed to be uh, reducing uh, demand. Um, right. Is there anything that that uh, Germany can be doing to to help the supply situation right now? Well, I wanted to get back to gas storage for you. Okay. Okay. So basically, there there's a couple things that they can do, and so one of the things that they're doing right now is sort of what California did uh, just just uh, last September, I think it was, where they basically changed the rules, saying that yep. nuclear or saying that some nuclear, some natural gas is actually green. They're trying to relabel and and try to make it more palatable to the international community. Yeah. Who, obviously, the the hype is over is over emission targets and cutting all fossil fuels out by 2050. Yeah. Um, what I think this really does, though, is highlight like it's almost evidence that the transition to renewables, which will happen, like Germany has made some great strides in, yeah. in wind and solar, but. It's not going to happen overnight, and I think that the situation they're in right now reiterates that, uh, incredibly uh, confirms what's going on, and that is that they're going to need natural gas. 
And so the alternative would be to import it from, obviously the alternative is to import it from somewhere else. The problem is the only other solutions would be to increase LNG uh, imports that can offset the rush, the need for Russian gas, sure. which is what they're, which is what I believe that they're starting to do now. Um, they just announced, uh, I believe there's six uh, projects being developed to construct uh, LNG import terminals. Okay. And so I think that um, it's, well, it's clear that they're, they're going to go to LNG instead of Russian natural gas because, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. Like Russia is just going to keep doing this over and over. Sure. So I think they're at, they're at an inflection point that they're just ready to quit all Russian gas and it'd actually be a serious ambition. And so you have to look around for what are their alternatives, and there's only really one, and I think that's U.S. LNG. Yeah. Um, and in fact, we most recently became uh, Europe's largest supplier of LNG, and I think over the course of the next couple years, that's gonna that's gonna strengthen sure. into like a serious bull. Is it just Europe's? Uh, is it just Europe, or did didn't we become the largest exporter of? Of LNG in the world? In the world. In the world. Um, yeah. But we are – obviously, we're also Europe's largest uh, customer. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's intri- intri- intricate. It's – that's connected, obviously. Right. Okay. Um, how does all of this kind of impact the solidarity of the of the European Union? Because well, I feel like a lot of the conversation that, we, that we've been talking about is about Germany. Right. And I feel, like, I feel like Germany has a lot of these problems. I think they're putting on a good show. I think that um, the EU basically would would announce, hey, we're all going to cut demand by 15 percent. Yeah. And then you have, you know, five or six members like Portugal, Spain, Italy that are more like, whoa, wait a minute. We don't we don't use Russian gas whatsoever. Why are we being penalized for this amount? And where do they get their energy from? Well, you would have to look at the individual countries. But essentially, you can't you can't send uh, as much. So you can't suddenly increase the output of natural gas flows into Europe from like Spain and Italy because the infrastructure is just not there. Okay. Right. And so it, why is that? Like why can't they just like put a bunch of natural gas in trucks or what like what's up with natural the, gas doesn't does it you can't transport natural gas in trucks. Natural gas by you know historically has been a, a regional market because you can only transport in pipelines. Okay. If that makes sense to you. Sure. Yeah. Do you feel like we just the U.S. just entered a recession. Mm-hmm. Um, is the EU in a recession yet? Are they shooting themselves so, in the foot with this uh, kind of like? I think they've already shot themselves in the foot. Yeah. So one of the big things, um, and I'll be speaking to Germany specifically for now, but like um, one of the big issues is that when you start allocating your your energy resources toward heating, you have to kind of take it away uh, if there's a shortage, like. I think that the German industrial activity is taking a big hit right now. So it certainly wouldn't surprise me if, if you know, it comes out that everybody's in a recession. I mean. Okay. How about these? Um, you were talking earlier about the, uh, the fact that they have to build more import terminals. Uh, is that a long-term solution or is that something that, like, they're going to build these <clears throat> import terminals and by the, you know, by the end of the – they just got to make it through the winter and right. then they're going to be all good? What's the – it's no longer about making it through a winter, yeah. right? Like, so we don't know when this Russian war, Ukrainian war is going to end, right? So even if it ended like t- 
tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Would you still want to be like, you know, just go on as if everything's just fine and then... No, of course not. So they're set on building these terminals no matter what. So I think that Germany is already going back to the to the rhetoric of, well, we might open a few coal plants. We might extend the life of a nuclear power plant. We might start building some LNG import uh, facilities because you got to remember they're right up against the North Sea. So, yeah, um, the long-term solution, the well, let, me put, let me phrase it like this. It is a long-term solution. How long is it going to take for so them to, to get those? An get average them? facility yeah. is going to take about three to five years to construct. Okay. Like, you got to remember, um, the first U.S. application to the Department of Energy um, to export LNG was in August 11th, 2011, mm-hmm. right? It took four and a half years to get the first cargo flows out. Um, but we basically we we set up our LNG facilities to be to import LNG because in 2008, before this shale gas boom exploded and provided a, a vast yeah, amount yeah, of that supply, makes sense. right? So we were setting up all of our natural gas to come into the United States, and then all of a sudden, within a few short years, we're suddenly a massive. Do you player? Do you on know the anything stage. about like the logistics of that? Because like to me, I'm thinking like. Import, export, like, what's the difference in terms of, like, shit? Like, what's right. what do you have to that's, do? That's a podcast we can talk about okay. for, like, three more hours that we probably shouldn't get into. But what I would be interested in and what I need to figure out um, is basically what um, what the difference is between simply switching from import to export and building a brand. Sure. You would imagine the latter would be a much longer endeavor and cost more billions of dollars more. Okay, well, let's get to a question that I think a lot of our audience probably legitimately like really cares about mm. um, in terms of what we're talking about here today. So you think that basically America is Europe's only option in terms of uh, natural gas? We're like a lifeline for yeah. natural gas, yes. What are the potential investment opportunities here then right? Um, in terms of like, you know, obviously that's going to increase increase demand here. Well, how does that affect us in the, in the States mm-hmm. and how does it affect uh, any LNG companies in, in the States? I think there, well, there's there's two kind of plays we can go down uh, down the road. You can you can direct directly look into the the owners of these facilities like the Sabine Pass. And for those I like, uh, Chenier. What's, uh, what's the sap? What's the, what is that? So Chenier, um, Chenier directly. Uh, Sa- oh, I'm sorry. The Sabine Pass yeah. facility is basically an export terminal in Louisiana, where most of our natural our, our LNG is exported out of. It's like right there on the Gulf Coast. It, it gets, it's got very close access to really cheap Permian gas. Um, it's it's a great spot. Um, so and do I they, like. Do they ship to Europe from that spot, or you can you can ship to Europe from that spot. Okay. Um, and so LNG is the ticker symbol for Chenier, um, which was actually trading around $24, uh, a share when the first shipment started flowing out in 2016. And today they're up to $150. So the growth was incredible. Um, however, is that a, is that a company that you had recommended to your subscribers at um, some point or? So the way, the way that me and my readers took advantage of this was through CQP, which is Chenier Partners. The, uh, 
Is the, it the MLP? They're the direct owner. Par- CQP is the direct owner of the Sabine Pass facility. And right now, it's it's paying a 7% dividend annually. It's trading at just like 14 times its trailing or, or its forward earnings. Yeah. So it's looking a little cheap. You have a direct investment line through Shenair okay. into the export facilities in the U.S. Okay. Right? But then you have another interesting um, investment in the tankers, right? Because you have to you have to transport LNG across the ocean, right? That makes sense. And so, Flex LNG FLNG uh, is a is next gen LNG tanker carriers. Um, or LNG carriers. That's the type of carrier. Yes. That's the company that's making the carriers. It's, Flex LNG is the is the company. Okay. Uh, the ticker symbol is FLNG. I mean, if you want to take a look. Okay. So these guys are looking actually kind of cheap. They're trading at nine point eight times their trailing earnings. They're setting a ten percent annual yield right now uh, for shareholders, and they have a payout ratio that's a little bit higher than I like to see. That's around seventy one percent, which is the basically the amount of money they're going to be able to put toward dividends. And they just build and manufacture the tankers? So these these guys basically um, have built a fleet of carriers, and they are the ones that that do the the shipping. Okay. And so what's interesting about this is that right now there's a little bit of a bottleneck, right, Um, in in the tanker market. That, I think, is going to open up over the years as more import facilities are built, like, for example, in Germany. Okay, so when you so, say bottleneck, you're basically saying that there's, like, ships that are kind of waiting right, in right. line it's at a, these facilities it's, waiting to... It doesn't look like a short-term attractive market yeah. because you have a bottleneck of ships, every, you know, it, right. Okay. And so I think that over the next few years, LNG is going to be a significantly more um, attractive investment than it was from 2016 to now. Sure. Because we spent the last six years ramping up our... our Export cap- uh, capacity and all that, and then we're gonna we're gonna continue to do that. The difference is now the world is sort of seeing how they can offset some of that that energy dependence through LNG, which is what Germany's finding out right now. Okay, uh, can you comment at all on uh, on prices? Um, sure. So, as you might ex- as you, as you probably would expect, there was a sharp uh, increase. Um, in the price of natural gas in Germany. Um, they trade on the Dutch TTF. So, like, I'd like to thank during – so during the COVID, t- uh, the COVID period, the two-year COVID period, 2020 prices were around 13 to 20, per, uh, do- uh, I think, euros per kilowatt hour. And then um, that amount actually, 2021, was around 40 to 50-ish, um, Right. Once the tanks started rolling in, there was a spike in, in, in natural gas prices. In You're Germany. talking about the, the, yes. the invasion of Ukraine, obviously. The invasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the moment that happened in March, shot up to about $200, $200 per kilowatt hour. From where? From what? Like 40 30, 30 Yeah, you're yeah. saying that. Okay, I, we, so like almost again, nearly we have a, a great chart right nearly here. Nearly a tenfold increase. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that obviously came down um, – as the as the winter abated, right? As we entered into the summer injection season, um, you're not using as much natural gas. Yeah. So what's really interesting is that in the last, so when um, when Putin further cut throughput in the Nord Stream pipeline, we just recently, like within the last week, saw natural gas prices spike to an all time high. So it surpassed the two hundred dollar per kilowatt hour. Um, 
that it was that that it had previously done. Okay. So they're paying an exorbitant amount of uh, of, of of money for natural gas right now, and we're in what should be the the you know the seasonally the the lowest in demand. Okay. I know you don't like to make like specific price predictions, but how maybe how long do you see that price uh, being that high? Do you think it's gonna like because that's, that's that can't so, be sustainable, can it? Look, I mean, there's there's a lot of factors you ha- you're going to have to play into. Like, what do you think Putin's going to do? Do you think he's just going to like give up the Ukraine territory? You know, just say all oh, all's good. Um, I think he's going to uh, put the pressure. He's going to keep them as as dependent as possible on Russian natural gas, which is probably why he cut throughput to begin with, um, because this is what this is the bare minimum that they need to reach that storage target. Sure. So, um, no, I, I don't want to put a price on it because, I mean, I think... Not a price? Yeah, I don't think it's how many issue. How many years until we start seeing uh, prices start to, to go down? Well, what you're going to see is you're going to start seeing um, Germany start buying US LNG. For, yeah. Okay. So you're going to be looking at, at LNG, spot, or LNG prices and inking long... Typically, they, they deal with long-term contracts, so it's almost more efficient than, than dealing with Putin, in okay. my opinion. Um, and as far as investment information around this, uh, I know you mentioned a couple of ticker symbols, a couple of stocks. Is there anything else that you're, you're kind of hiding from us that's available in your, in your newsletters, or you're just you're giving everything away today for free? Or what's well, uh, I'm not going to give everything away for free I, right now. I think you should take a look at the, at the LNG tanker market. Um, start your search at FLNG. You know, see what you come with. See what you come up with. Sure. Do your due diligence. Yeah. Um, what if I'm lazy and I don't want to do the work? Whew. Well, then there's a there should be a link right below to the energy investor. Cute. I like that. Right. <laughs> um, you can join our investment community there. We talk about LNG nonstop nowadays, um, but we also we, we we touch on on all facets of the energy sector. Okay, cool. Uh, well, look, everyone who's watching the show, uh, I thank you for joining us. Um, please like, subscribe, comment. Mm-hmm.